Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Season Amateurs Podcast. I am your host this evening. This is the second time I've hosted. Today, it's just me and Josh. Um, the dynamic duo. I mean, I could say many more things as a nickname for us, too. But we'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> so good choice one thing there. that I wanted to... What's that? I said probably a good choice there. Yeah, probably. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to start off real quick and just give, based on the last two uh, podcasts, I'm going to give a quick rundown of what I think about the AFC East and AFC North. And it's not going to be much of an explanation at all. Rather, just a quick rundown, just so my opinion's out there so you guys can make fun of me later when I'm wrong. So for the AFC North, I got number one, the Baltimore Ravens, because, you know, Lamar Jackson's going to come out balling this year, and that's all there is to it. Number two, very easy, Cleveland Browns. And don't get me wrong, there's no hate to the Browns. I could easily swap one and two. So I think both are great teams. Both are relatively complete teams. And third, it's hard to choose the Bengals because their history. So I have to go with the Steelers because they have a better history. And then fourth is Bengals. Um, the AFC East Last is obviously the Jets. Third, the Miami Dolphins. Second, to many people's shock, is the Buffalo Bills. And first is the New England Patriots. And the reason I think the New England Patriots can make that jump to first, it's because it's Bill Belichick. Um, he's going back to something that has worked in the past, the two tight end set with relatively average wide receivers. Um, and a great defense. We have to think this Patriots team who missed the postseason last year had five players opt out, including Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung, and a starting tackle. So I don't think we got a fair representation of what the Patriots are going to be last year. I think it's going to be a completely different team who's uh, adjusted and also has a quarterback they can look to for their future. So that's why I'm choosing the Patriots at number one. But in this episode, we're going over the AFC West, which – you know, is my team, the Denver Broncos. Um, there's four teams, the Chargers, Chiefs, Raiders, Broncos. So I'm going to throw it to Josh. I'd like to hear what he has to say um, through one through four as far as placement goes. Yeah, I, I think this division, <clears throat> I thought last week was a little bit difficult because all three of the top teams are pretty good. And now we get to this week and all four of the teams, I think, have a case to be made of why they could be pretty good. Um, I think it could be a pretty tight division here. Um, I know we'll get into that in a couple minutes, but I'll just go ahead and start. I, I think the Kansas City Chiefs do have to be the favorite. Um, I don't love that, but I just think, you know, you've got Patrick Mahomes. Their defense is going to take some hits. Um, you know, they they continue to have guys getting in trouble. And, you know, this time, if, you know, they, they should lose Frank Clark, but they probably should have lost Tyreek Hill for an amount of time, and they didn't lose him either. So I don't know. But the NFL seems a little hesitant to suspend any Chiefs. But if Frank Clark goes to prison for three years, the NFL can't do anything to help him. So we'll see. So the defense may take a hit. They really didn't do anything to help themselves out this year, I don't think. But um, they still pretty much have to be the favorite, in my opinion. Second, I would go ahead and put the Denver Broncos. Um, I, I really I think a lot of this depends on Drew Locke. But I like the Broncos' defense. I like the Broncos' playmakers. And so if Drew Locke can play as well as I think Drew Locke can, I, I think Drew Locke has taken a lot of unfair criticism. Um, he, he's been hurt a lot. And, and 
now you can say that the the biggest um skill is availability but at the same time i think Locke could surprise a lot of people and then next i'm going to go to the raiders i'm going to have raiders third and these will all be really tight but i really believe again a quarterback who's very underrated i really believe in Derek carr I think Carr is a really good quarterback. I think their running backs are strong. I know you kind of hate on their wide receivers, but I think they've got a lot of potential. The offensive line scares me a little bit because I'm not really sure what Mike Mayock and, and Gruden did in trading away all of your offensive linemen for no apparent reason. That's not normally the best strategy. But then I think their defense made a few upgrades and, and could be better this year. And then last, I'm going to have the Chargers. Not necessarily because I think they should be last, but just because it's the four teams that I have to choose from in this division. Um, Justin Herbert, if he continues to ascend, could end up being an elite quarterback by the end of the year. Um, they've got decent playmakers, especially if they stay healthy. I thought they had a very strong draft, adding Rashawn Slater to the offensive line. And their defense, their defense looks decent. You know, their defensive backs look strong. You've got Joey Bosa on the defensive line. And so it wouldn't surprise me if the Chargers finished the division second, but it also wouldn't completely surprise me if the Raiders or the Broncos won the division. And so that's why I have to put the Raiders and the Broncos ahead of the Chargers. So just summing it up, Chiefs one, Broncos two, Raiders three, Chargers four. How about you, Chris? Well, I agree with you in number one. I mean, there's a team that won the Super Bowl the year before and they win and lost the next year. So it's really hard to not choose the Chiefs as the number one. As much as I despise them, they're the best team in the division. I mean, it's been proven they have the best coach in the division for sure. That's no question about it. Um, second, it's kind of embarrassing because Josh has given my Broncos more respect than I am. Um, I have the Chargers at second. And just because I look at Justin Herbert, I look at the upgrade they made on the offensive line. And statistically, last year in yards allowed, their defense held up 10th yards for 9th. The thing that killed them was their pressure on the defensive line. I, um, I just don't trust their trainer because if Herbert gets hurt, <laughs> we don't know if he's going to get stabbed or not. That's true. But if you think about it, that trainer – um, accelerated the uh, the rising up of Justin Herbert as well. True. So though it was a horrible mistake, the Chargers in a way benefited. In a Tyrod way, Tyrod Taylor lost, Justin Herbert gained. Yeah, yeah. Poor Tyrod Taylor. That dude's been unluckiest player in the NFL, hands down. Um, yeah. So I have the Chargers at number two, just because I like Justin Herbert. They're very stable. They're consistently there. Every game they lose is by one point. So to me, like every game comes down to one possession. And if they can get those on their side, they can easily be a top team. In third, I have the Denver Broncos. Um, their roster is just too talented to not do well. Um, barring injuries, of course. Drew Locke is a question mark, obviously. But like I said, when it comes down to strictly talent, I mean – I was talking to Josh before this. If you forget the history and you just go by strictly the depth chart, you might find people saying Denver's the best team in the division just strictly based on talent. Um, so that's why I have them at three. I really just don't like the coach. I don't have much faith in him. 
Um, and in fourth, I have the Raiders. Um, like Josh said, their offensive line was bad last year, and they traded away their offensive – like, they traded their away their good players. Their offensive line was not that bad last year. Well, Josh Jacobs couldn't do anything last year. So – and Josh Jacobs is a good running back. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I kind of lean that – I, I kind of blame that on the offensive line. But, like – Josh was explaining they traded away a bunch. They made some good additions in the secondary, which was a huge weak point for them. But when it comes down to it, turnovers are the biggest thing. Um, They actually ranked 30th, a tie for 30th, with a negative 11 turnover differential. Um, And you're not going to have a winning season with that. And that's the reason why I see the Raiders last. I just don't see enough improvements to make up um, their lack of talent. Um, so now that we've gone through that, I mean, I had Chiefs one, Chargers two, Broncos three, Raiders four. We're just going to, um, go with the strengths. I would like to hear some strengths. We can start with the Chiefs. Go ahead, Josh. So I think the strength with the Chiefs would probably be found at quarterback. Um, I don't, I don't think too many would, would disagree with me there. Um, but no. Okay. So like quarterback's the obvious one. But really, I would just say offensive skill position. You know, we can say quarterback. We can look and, okay, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, this dude better perform this year. If this guy doesn't perform, okay, never mind. I'm not going to say what I was going to say, but I'll be upset because I went and drafted does it, does the first it, round. Does it come down to his performance or does it come down to a different offensive game plan to get him more involved? Because when he touched the ball, he performed. See, I forgot. I was expecting you to make fun of me for drafting him first round in the Dynasty League, but I forgot about the fact he's an LSU guy, so you have to defend him. Um, but no, I think some of it was schematic. I think some of it is just the fact running back on the Chiefs not going to get as much use. Um, but you you look and you see yo Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman, Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is a beast. Um well, honestly, I could probably even just say their offense because they made some really good upgrades on their offensive line. Um, but offensive skill positions and perhaps offensive line, I see as a big strength for them. Um, obviously, I mean, <laughs> you can't disagree. Their strong point's Patrick Mahomes. Like, that's all there is to it. He's the best quarterback in the league. Most talented probably that anyone who watches football has ever seen. His it, he, he's just incredible. But just to go around that, I mean, man, I hope I hope this doesn't sound like repetition for what I'm going to say through this whole division. I think they're just coached really well. Mm-hmm. I think one of their biggest strong points is their coaching. They trust their players to make the plays that they're coached to do. Um, not a lot of teams do. I mean, for example, the Colts, Jonathan Taylor, he couldn't get going because his coach didn't trust him. Denver, Drew Locke has trouble finding a rhythm because they don't trust him to make the throw. He's also not helped them trust him by throwing interceptions. But that's one thing about the that's one thing I love about the um, the coaching staff of the Chiefs is they really trust their players. They showed it going for fourth down against the Browns in the playoffs. They look at their team and go, "Our guys are better than their guys," and I think that's unique to them. I don't see many other te- many other coaching staffs in the NFL who do that. So to me, I mean, obviously, apart from Patrick Mahomes, I think that's their biggest strong point. Um, second, let's uh, let's go to the let's just go to the Chargers. 
Josh, what do you think is the, one of the strong points um, for the Chargers? So I, I would possibly say quarterback again, Justin Herbert. I think he's an ascending talent. Um, part of me would like to go with their defensive backfield. You know, you've got Chris Harris, Derwin James, Nasir Adderley, Michael Davis, and they drafted Asante Samuel Jr. I think their defensive backfield is going to be very strong. But I'm actually going to say offensive line. You look and they added Rashawn Slater. They have Corey Lindsley and Brian Balaga. Like, this is a strong offensive line. I absolutely loved the the draft pick of Rashawn Slater. I think, you know, you've got a young quarterback and they made protecting him a priority. And I think that offensive line is going to be surprisingly good for the Chargers. I think that's going to to really help them out in that division where a couple of those teams pass rush is a question. And so you have a questionable pass rush and now a very solid offensive line. And so, you know, yeah, I, I picked the Chargers last in the division, but if they finish second, I won't be shocked because if they finish second, my guess is that this offensive line performed admirably and Justin Herbert had all the time he needed to do special things. What do you, when I think of, you, you say, so you, you like the Chargers secondary. I do. I look at that. They got, I got, well, they got rid of Casey Hayward. Derwin James has shown that he's had a lot of trouble being healthy. Does that concern you? Oh, it does. Um, you know, and I don't remember, I know I mentioned when going through the list of some of the question marks about injuries, I thought specifically of Joey Bosa as he's had some injuries. Yeah. Um, they haven't re-signed Melvin Ingram, but if he comes back, he's had problems with injuries. As you mentioned, Derwin James has had injuries. So that does scare me, but when healthy, Derwin James has played well. Um, and I wonder, you know, will they use one of their cornerbacks or they, could they even slot or would they use one of their safeties or could they possibly slot a cornerback up, maybe start playing Asante Samuel Jr. earlier? I, I think it's possible that Asante Samuel Jr. could be one of the best cornerbacks out of this draft. Um, wow. I mean, he, he played extremely well. Yeah, I, I think he could be a, a huge piece there. So health does concern me, but sometimes when you're looking at strengths, it's like, okay, are we are we counting on injuries or do we want to give the benefit of the doubt and assume health? And if Derwin James is healthy and stays healthy, I like their defensive back. No, no I mean, I, I agree with that. Like I said, the only thing that concerns me is their health. Um, for me, the biggest strong point to me is the charter skill position. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at Justin Herbert, and when I think of rookie quarterbacks, I think of guys who need to find confidence in being able to throw a swing pass to their running back, a guy who needs to be able to throw to the middle of the field um, to their tight end. He had that in Hunter Henry. Now they have him in Jared Cook, who might be a better receiving tight end than Hunter Henry. Probably a worse blocker, but a better receiving tight end. Um, I, I would argue and Hunter Henry is Allen. better. I would argue that Hunter Henry is better, but Hunter Henry also got hurt a lot. And again, availability is key. I mean, Jared Cook is faster too, though. And I I think so. Jared Cook's quick. He's one of the faster tight ends in the league. But um, yeah, when it comes to the skill positions... Um, and they have Keenan Allen, who's one of the best possession receivers in the league. Um, and then they have burners. 
like their other receivers can fly. What's his name? Is it Jalen Guyton? I think his mm-hmm. name is. Yep. The dude can fly. Tyron Johnson can fly. Um, Mike Williams can fly. So I really like what they're doing. They have a lot of good receivers. And then they have Keenan Allen, who's a great possession receiver and who can make those plays for them. So personally, I love the skill position that the Chargers have surrounded um, their young quarterback with. Are you scared to go back to the injury idea? Austin Eckler got hurt last year and Mm -hmm. none of their running backs really did anything. Josh Kelly or Justin Jackson. Are you at all afraid of injury there? I mean, Eckler is great if he's healthy. I mean... I wouldn't say Eckler has a has a history of injuries. That's fair. Last year, last year, I mean, he was injured for a decent amount of games. But correct me if I'm wrong. I think that was really his only like stint of injury in his career. Yeah, only long um, stint. So that's that's why that doesn't really concern me because Derwin Derwin James. I mean, their secondary like multiple seasons. It seems like they're always hurting at cornerback and they're running on their last leg. So that's fair. That's why I like the, that's why I like the skill positions. And you know, I'm going to start us off on the Broncos. Um, it's pretty obvious where Denver's strong point is. They uh, they once had the no fly zone. It took a step down and it came back up. The the Denver Broncos offseason they added Kyle Fuller. They added Ronald Darby. They drafted Patrick Sertan. Um, our secondary Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson. Um, I'm blanking on our other corner who played for us, Bryce Callahan, who tore it up last year. Denver's secondary is outstanding. And uh, one thing that I would like to admit is that I think our pass rush, I think our linebackers, I love Von Miller, I love Bradley Chubb. I don't think they're superstars. I really don't. I just think our corner, our secondary has been so good that it's given them the time to reach the quarterback. Um. But, yeah, I, I think definitely the strong point for Denver is their secondary as a whole. They just seem stacked and, like, depth. Like, we can afford two injuries and still be fine. Um, so, yeah, I think it's pretty easy to say that, even though we cut A.J. Boye, but the dude was a trash can last year, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think defensive backfield is probably your strongest. Um you know, if I want to be different, I would probably say offensive skill position. Yeah, you know, I mean, Melvin Gordon is not who he once was, but he's still a serviceable running back. I'm intrigued to see what Javante Williams turns out to be. And then your wide receivers, you know, again, health, if they're healthy, you know, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, and Tim Patrick, that is a stellar quadruple and no fan. receiver. Um, and then you've got Noah Fant, you know, you've got tight ends there. And so, like, Adding those four wide receivers and Noah Fant, like that is a crazy offensive skill position to help Drew Locke if they can just stay healthy because Cortland Sutton was out pretty much all of last year. KJ Hamler had some injuries. Noah Fant had some injuries. But if they can stay healthy for Drew Locke, that's going to be so helpful. No, and I mean, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, that's kind of what I was talking about earlier, just with a stack depth chart. So it comes down to staying healthy and executing. Josh, what do you think is the biggest weakness of the Raiders? Did we do a strength for them? That's what I meant. Sorry. Okay. It just, when I think about the Raiders, I naturally think weakness. Okay. That, so. That's also fair. Um, I would I would say tight end, Darren Waller. 
Um, I, I feel like people are still sleeping on this guy somehow. I'm not really sure. You know, I, I think he's obviously top three tight end, you know, behind Travis Kelsey, maybe behind George Kittle. And then Darren Waller's right there. The guy is a beast, but also really like what they've done with their defensive backfield. They, they picked up Casey Hayward. They've got Jonathan Abram. They drafted Trevon Morig. They've got Trayvon Mullen, um, Carl Joseph, the, the guy out of Ohio State, Damon Arnett. I, I like what they've done there in strengthening up their secondary, which is necessary if they may not have much of a pass rush again. Yeah, you know, I look at the Raiders and I'm, I'm having trouble finding a strength for them. I'm just really low on the Raiders. Um, if I had to choose, I would be their running back position. Um, it didn't look good last year, but they signed Kenyon Drake in the offseason. So they're running with Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake, which are Josh Jacobs has proven that he can be a starting running back in this league. Not last season, but the years previous. Um, and Kenyon Drake has shown flashes of starting potential, but then every time he gets the opportunity, he busts. So I think he's going to make a really good backup to Josh Jacobs, considering Josh Jacobs also has somewhat of an injury problem. I do like that they added Kenyon Drake. And so then to me, Jaylen if Richard, I had to... Jalen Richard and Theo Riddick, who are good pass-catching backs as well. Not that yeah. Jacobs or Drake can't catch passes, but a nice little third-down back type option in there as well. Yeah, so yeah, I, I like their backfield. So we're going to have to actually move through the weaknesses relatively quick. Um, we seem to be running out of time, so we're just going to serpentine, and we're just going to go back to the Raiders. All right. Um, what do you think the Raiders' weakness is? Yeah, so One I of the many. I would have said defensive line, but I think they really made a nice little upgrade there with Yannick Ngakwe and hopefully see some development from Cleland Farrell and Max Crosby. So I would say offensive line. You know, they traded away some reliable starters. They brought in Alex Leatherwood, who I think could be good. I think he was drafted a little too early, but they made up for it by stealing Trevon Morig afterwards. But I would say offensive line is the biggest question mark to me. For me, I mean, hmm. I'd have to go, like, I don't know. I have trouble choosing a position. Um, it's slightly coaching, slightly position. I'm going to go with the red zone defense. I think that's their weakest point. Um, you see a lot of teams, they're bend but don't break, but the Raiders are like instant break. They're, it's like their defense is straw. Once teams get into the red zone, they score practically every time. They're 30th in the league points against. And when you look at all their other stats, their yards allowed is higher than 30th. Their sacks for are slightly better than like their when you look at their defensive stats, you wouldn't expect them to be 30th in points against, and they're they're literally the opposite of the Broncos as far as bend but don't break. But uh, yeah, I would say their weakness is definitely their red zone defense, and I mean you could also make an argument for the red zone offense. They just need to learn how to finish drives, and that's all there is to it. Um, Josh, what is the weakness for the Broncos? So I have question marks about their offensive line, um, perhaps pass rush outside of Bradley Chubb and Von Miller, but most of all, I'll say coaching, um, which I know is just music to your ears. Vic Fangio, I don't know how he's still their coach. Not really sure about that one. Um, I, I think their coaching is just really poor. I don't think they've coached up Drew Lockwell. I don't think they've handled a lot of things well. Yeah, I think coaching's the weakness. 
go ahead and take that one away and expound upon that, my buddy. Obviously, I'm going to agree with you in coaching. I mean, it's similar to what I said about the Chiefs. It's the opposite. The Broncos, it, it seems like they just don't trust their players. We get like half a lead and we go completely conservative. Denver, like beginning of the game, we Denver's like first drive offense often score touchdowns. And then every time we got a slight lead, which was rare, don't get me wrong, and we gave it away because we just stopped playing our game. So, I mean, obviously I think the coaching. Um, but one weakness that I'm going to say, but it could easily by the end of the year be one of their strengths is Drew Locke. He needs to not turn over the ball. We are 32nd in the league in turnover differential, negative 16. Um, second to last had five less turnovers. So Raiders were second. They were tied for second to last with negative 11. We're at negative 16. Like we were substantially worse than the second worst. Um, so we just need, Dever needs to take care of the ball. Drew Locke has got to mature and make better decisions. And I think he will. He's young. He's going to be coached. So while I say Drew Locke is a weak point at the moment, he could easily be a strong point at the end of the year. So that's what I have to say about Denver. Um, quickly about the Chargers, what do you think is their weakness? Man, the, the Chargers are pretty solid all around. Like, again, looking at them, it wouldn't surprise me if they finished second because while I don't – like, no position necessarily blows me away, no position seems super weak. And so I'll say, like, I don't love their linebacking core. Um, like, linebacking slash pass rush. So kind of that whole – you know, front seven. Um, Linval Joseph is good. Joey Bosa is phenomenal if he's healthy. But outside of that, I see that as a as a bit of a question mark. No, I agree. I'm, to me, their biggest weakness is their trainer. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say their trainer. Um, <laughs> to me, their biggest weakness has to be their pass rush. I mean, I'm going to agree with you. Um, Joey Bosa is fantastic. Um, when he's healthy, he, he tears it up with doubles. Um, but one thing they're going to have to do is they need to bring along another pass rusher because they're just not getting they, – they have – Joey Bosa is too good to not get to the quarterback. Mm. That's what I'm trying to say. They finished 25th in the league in sacks with arguably a top five pass rusher in the league. So, I mean, I, I think – Except Joey Bosa, their pass rush is an issue, and it has to improve, especially with a secondary that seems like is constantly moving parts because of injuries. Um, yeah, they just need to establish that. Um, apart, we're gonna go to the Chiefs, Josh. But apart from like the prison and legal system, you can't name that as a weakness. I know they struggle with that, um, but give me a different weakness for the Chiefs. Well, it kind of plays into that. You know, and not even bringing up Britt Reed or, you know, Tyreek Hill or the the history of when Hunt was with them. Um, but get their pass rush, their pass rush, if and when Frank Clark is incarcerated or suspended by the NFL, um, you look at their pass rush and they have Chris Jones. But who else? Honestly, look at their depth chart. I don't know a lot of these names. The one name I do know is Taco Charlton, and he failed with the Cowboys. So I don't have a lot of confidence if and when Frank Clark is incarcerated that their pass rush is going to be able to do much of anything. 
I mean, their pass rush was 19th in the league with Frank Clark. Um, and Chris Jones is only getting older. To me, their weakness is their whole defense. Um, I have trouble finding a bright spot in their defense. They have Tyron aging. Matthews. Their star player. But that's what I'm saying. Their star players are aging. Tyron Matthews is in his 30s. He's going to slow down. That's significant for a safety. There are very few safeties that sustain that level of play into their 30s. So, obviously, I like Tyron Matthew. I'm an LSU fan. Um, but their defense is a huge question mark. Um, their yards allowed, they were 16th. That's with their offense always on the field because they were great at converting first downs. So I do think that could be worse if it wasn't for their offense. Their sacks four, they had 32. That was 19th in the league. That was with Frank Clark and an aging Chris Jones. Frank Clark is probably going to be out. Chris Jones has gotten older. And their turnover differential is only a plus six with a quarterback who rarely ever turns over the ball. So while it's a while it's positive, I do question if they're going to be able to I don't know. They, they don't make those plays. I think their best defense is how good their offense is because hmm. it, it, uh, it allows them to narrow down what they have to do on defense. And so, yeah, I, I would, I would put a question mark on their entire defense personally. That's fair. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think that's going to have to conclude our segment. We went a little long on this one, but uh, you're going to hear a word from our sponsor from Josh Birch. So we'll catch you guys in a minute. Welcome back. We are going to shift our focus from the NFL, and we're actually going to go broad sports. Um, I mean, All-Star Weekend just passing for baseball. Um, I just wanted to discuss why you think All-Star Games slash Pro Bowls have taken such a hit in ratings, and just people seem to have no interest in it. I mean, statistically, just looking at stats, the MLB All-Star Game at its peak was uh, – in 1971 but just to stay somewhat relevant in 2000 there were 10 million households who tuned in for the all-star game in uh in not last year's because covid canceled it but the year before that five million nine hundred thousand so we're not seeing just a slight drop off we're seeing a significant drop off in baseball um pro bowl the peak in 2010 where 13.4 million people tuned in and watched and in 2019, there was 7.97. So that's another nearly half of the viewership has dropped off. And for the NBA, I mean, it's, I guess it was never really that popular, but a peak was in 2011 with 9 million views. We are now sitting in 2021 with 5.9 million views. Um, so across sports, we are seeing a big drop off in viewership and ratings for professional sports and all-star games. And I would just like to discuss why you think that is. Josh, do you want to take it and give it your best shot? I would say largely because they are meaningless and do not matter. And then to expound upon that, they are meaningless and do not matter. And the players play like they are meaningless and do not matter. If you look at the Pro Bowl, I don't blame these guys. You know, the NFL Pro Bowl, I don't blame these guys. The season's over, and now they're going out there the week before the Super Bowl. They don't want to get hurt, so they're just out there kind of playing around, and why am I going to tune in and spend a couple hours watching a game that has absolutely no significance where the guys aren't really playing all that seriously? Then the NBA. 
nobody plays defense. I don't really feel like watching a 175 to 163 game, but that's what it turns out to be because honestly, their scoring is not that impressive to me when there's no defense being played. And so that's pretty boring. I like a few of the ideas they've come up with recently, but it still doesn't work when the guys don't play like it's an actual game. And then the MLB all-star game, the MLB all-star game also meaningless. The guys sometimes play like it's meaningless and then it's also just about as boring as the regular season of the MLB right now. So I'm probably not tuning in for that either. Doesn't correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't the MLB all-star game actually determine who has like game seven of the world series? I do not think anymore. It does. I think that got, Oh, it does. Okay. Well, that makes sense considering the lack of care. Like you said, yeah, go ahead and give your thinking on it, and I will Google that as we are talking. All right. Well, I mean, I agree. The players don't care, and when the players don't care, the fans don't care. Um, but I think the biggest thing is we're now at the point in sports where we are not seeing like things like, oh, wow, this is the first time that's happened. It's hard to see new things because sports have been around for so long. For example, the Home Run Derby – um, the, in the last couple of days, don't remember which day it actually was. It actually set records for the most people tuned into the home run derby. Why? Because there was a pitcher in it and that's so, going to bring people in. Okay. So two things, one, I checked no, no longer. It does. It does not affect home field advantage any longer. That was a rule in place from 2003 to 2016. And so for the last several years, that has not been, the case and therefore it doesn't have any meaning anymore which i think makes sense i don't think home field advantage should be dictated based on who won an all-star game i agree Uh, it should be based on record but it means that doesn't have any meaning but also think the home run derby is exciting the all-star game is not do do you like the the home run derby clock i think that does do you like it by pitches it moves it a little bit more quickly because the home run derby, when it was just by pitches, you know, and they had a certain number of pit, a certain number of hits, they would just take so many pitches. It would take forever. Now that it's on a clock and they only have so much time to try to hit home runs. I think it's made it more exciting and it's made it move a lot faster. I mean, that's fair. Um, so, I mean, I think we both like agree relatively. I mean, the fans don't care because the players don't care. It's not competitive. It's not fun to watch. I do think it's interesting that the ratings dropped off when the Pro Bowl left Hawaii. So I think they even took the one special thing away from it that that was like the players don't even go to Hawaii anymore. Um, so, I mean, they're just not helping themselves. The, I mean, Adam Silver of the NBA is trying to try different things like with the tournament, but the issue is having the players buy in. And there's – they're just having trouble finding a way to do it. What were you going to say? I think you need to try to do some some different things. You can see that with the NHL trying to do some of their tournament-style things different. Um, it's really intriguing the way they're even playing like some three-on-three or whatever and then the skills competition. But you just have to do something to make it intriguing when the game has no real importance. And so I will give that to Adam Silver. He's trying, but I think mm-hmm. it's still a long road ahead of him. I mean, don't get me wrong. When I think of the Pro Bowl, I'm more excited about the dodgeball and the other games than the actual game itself. Yep. Um, 
the NBA, the skill challenge, the three-point contest, the dunk contest, more exciting. The MLB, the home run derby, more exciting. Um, and maybe that's an issue. Maybe they're overshadowing the All-Star game. Maybe they need to just get rid of the All-Star game and just elect All-Stars just for, like, stat reasons and historic reasons and, like, this player made this many. Um, I... I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to just get rid of the All-Star game in general and just do a weekend of, like, specialized things that people might be intrigued to watch. Yeah, I think the one thing that helps is in the All-Star game when they're miking players up. and Like, the thing is, they're kind of, like, halfway into this right now. It's like they don't fully want to make it a spectacle, but I think their only hope of saving it is to acknowledge this is a spectacle for entertainment purposes only. And, and just fully embracing that and maybe going to some stuff that's kind of gimmicky. But, hey, mic these guys up the whole time. You know, maybe maybe make it so they can hear each other's channels. I don't know. Have trash talk going on during the game from the Duggets. I, I don't know. But just fully embrace the gimmick nature of yeah. it. Because about that's about the only thing. I love seeing these guys on the field getting interviewed during the game. That is so unrealistic and probably not great to have going on during the season but let's try to make it fun because that's about the only way that i'll tune in no i I absolutely agree with you and at this point i I do feel like that's the only way they can actually restore interest in an all-star week and period um so the next segment we're gonna stick to something similar we're gonna stick with the mlb um ESPN posted something, um, according to the MLB commissioner, Rob Manfred, and he listed four rules that are going up for potential change. And we're just going to go bullet by bullet real quick. Um, So the first is banning or limiting defensive shifts. Josh, what do you think about that? Yeah, so I think this is interesting. Um, Ideally, this would not be necessary. Because I watch a baseball game. So for context, I played baseball for what? I think nine years from 10 to 19, 10 to 18, something, eight or nine years. Um, absolutely loved baseball. Broke my leg playing baseball. Made me love the sport even more. I love the sport of baseball. And I can barely watch the sport of baseball right now. It's miserable. Strikeouts, the, the analytics of trying to hit home runs, it kills me. And because of that, they are, are using these defensive shifts. And if you're not familiar with baseball, what they're doing is instead of taking you know, the two guys on one side of the field and two guys on the other side of the field in the infield like is normal with first, second, third, and shortstop, they're, they're shifting and they're having three guys on one side of the infield to try to take away from the strong side of a hitter. And so theoretically, if the hitter learns to hit to opposite field or learns to bunt, they would take advantage of that. But if you have a guy who's a superstar power hitter and Aaron judge, you're going to keep telling Aaron judge to try to hit home runs and you're not going to have him bunt because in reality, the other team isn't afraid of Aaron judge bunting. They're afraid of him hitting a home run. And so they're going, you know, they're not, he's not going to start bunting, but I wish he would because it would make it more exciting. It would get more base runners, but the Yankees aren't going to take the bat out of Aaron Judge's hands because that's almost feeding into the other team. And so I get why the analytics say play with a shift. I get why the analytics say keep swinging, trying to hit a home run. 
But I also hope the MLB understands that I'm not going to watch a game like that because it is so boring anymore with no small ball, no bunts, no stolen bases. Baseball has become miserable to watch. And I think that banning the shift might actually help with that. I agree. I think it will help. And I think it could be a good thing, but I just, I don't know how you do it. Um, for me, it's, it's going to be the difficulty of finding the application. Do you have like, Oh, the third base can only leave this many yards from third base. Like I, I just struggle seeing the way they're going to maneuver around it. I, I think you just say you have to have two infielders on each side of second base. Um, and that keeps you. That would still allow. That, that would still work. allow for a significant shift. But it's not going. To, so a lot of times with the shifts, you have perhaps the you know a, a left-handed power hitters up, and so you have the first baseman in his position. You have the second baseman out in right field, and you have the shortstop over in like a second baseman position. So if you just say no, both of you guys are staying on your sides. It's going to keep those extreme shifts from happening. And then it's going to open up more of the field for the pull hitters. And you're going to see more, you're going to see on base percentages rise. It, no, and then that, you just have, I mean, like you have illegal formation in, in football, you know, where you say you can't put seven wide receivers out there. You know, it's kind of the same thing as saying you can't play your shortstop over on the second base side of that's true. Second base. No, no, that's that's a really good point. Like I said, I would like to see the rule in place because, like you said, it's just it's getting hard to watch. Um, it's been refreshing watching Vlad because the dude hits bums, but he also hits for a great average and a great on base percentage. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean the next rule is, I think we're both gonna agree on this one pretty quick. I don't think it needs much discussion, but it's eliminating seven inning double headers, which, yeah, you can go ahead and you seem like you had an agreement. Yeah, I think they should eliminate seven inning doubleheaders. I get that, you know, a doubleheader when they're playing two games on the same day, instead of your traditional nine inning Major League Baseball game, they reduce it to seven inning. But make it nine innings. These guys are professionals. You know, you have the statistical problems of what it was it, Madison Bumgardner threw a no hitter, but it was only seven innings. Play nine innings. You guys are professionals. Play your nine innings. Do a doubleheader. Get over it. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, it came in during COVID and it should have left one of the other restrictions left because exactly. um, it kind of made sense with COVID around in a, in a way, maybe. Um, but the next row, I think it's even more obvious <laughs> that we're going to agree on eliminating um, the eliminating of starting extra innings with a man on second base. I just want to start off by saying I absolutely hate this. I hate every part of it. I mean, I don't think I've seen a game go past 11 innings this year because of it. And that's the part of baseball that you love. Like a 19 inning game, the guys are so short on pitchers that they're throwing in a shortstop to throw some pitches because their bullpen's cleared out. Um, yeah, I hate this. They need to eliminate it, and I think they're going to. I think this is the biggest no-brainer because I think it's a relatively universally hated among all baseball fans. Yeah, so I so here's what I'll say. I would I would be more okay if in the name of player safety, you keep this one to me. It's like in the NHL where, you know, you, you reduce it to what three on three in overtime instead of five on five, they reduce it to three on three. And then they eventually go to a shootout. 
to avoid having the three overtime games that you have in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But then when it comes to playoffs, goes back to normal rules. You know, we're, we're not doing a shootout in the playoffs because we don't want to be like FIFA and end up with a game being decided on penalty kicks. But that's a different matter that maybe we'll get into sometime eventually. I don't know. But I could see saying for the regular season, we're starting the runner on second. We don't want games to be going 19 innings when you're playing an afternoon game the next day. But then when it comes to the playoffs, no, we're playing conventional. I think there's there's a precedent set to be able to have a rule for a regular season to keep from wearing guys out and injuring them, but then not letting it affect the playoffs. And that's what we see with the NHL. And I think it's a decent setup. It makes it a little more intriguing, a little more exciting and makes it a little easier on the players, but then it doesn't, you know, give a cheap win during the playoffs. I, I get I'm that. I'm okay if and, they take and, it out too. I'm fine with them taking it away. Well, and maybe and maybe they do a little bit of a hybrid of like of what you're talking about. Like you look in the college college football, if they go past two overtimes, the teams have to go for a two point conversion. Yep. It makes it to inning eleven. And then they start with the runner on second base. That's but fair. not like top of the tenth runner on second. I just think it's I don't know. I hate it. I really do. And it could be because the Blue Jays have managed to lose every single extra inning game this year. That might be my discontent for it. Maybe, um, maybe the problem is not honestly, having the maybe the problem is not the rule about having the runner on second. Maybe this the problem is that you're a Blue Jays fan. Shut up. Um. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's one last rule, but I think it's too big of a topic to discuss. So if you want to hear us discuss this, it's going to be in a further podcast because I would love to uh, discuss the extension of the DH. Mm. Um, and what we think of the DH. Cause I, I don't, I don't want to cheat on this discussion because I do think it could be a legitimate discussion. So I'm just going to wait on it. So I just want to thank you guys for tuning in. It was fun. Just me and Josh. Um, <laughs> I'd ask you to like share comment feedback. Like I, I would love to hear if you guys are like, you're an idiot. The chiefs defense is okay. They're going to dominate the division or you're a hater. The Raiders are going to be second which is a complete lie. Um, but yeah, maybe, dis, maybe dis, even try let, to disagree with us. Let, let us know why Dylan's wrong, even though Dylan wasn't even on tonight. Oh, absolutely. That might be even better. Um, so yeah, so thank you guys for tuning in. We will catch you next week. And this concludes our session.